0: We're in Missoula, Montana and I'm sitting with uh, yeah. Yeah. Er, I'm sitting with Ernie and Erica at some unknown restaurant, getting a little getting a little breakfast. Um, and uh, it's the day after the, the the big Rocket Mass Eater workshop. So I uh, we we've all, all the three of us have decided that today's gonna to be a day of recreation and, and recording a podcast easy. is easy and uh, you know it's it, Taking it from here, that uh, to getting it out to other people—that's work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, just, but just sitting here, and I mean, in a, in a way, this is kind of like wasting time. We're not actually building something. Yeah, yeah, pleasant. Yeah. We need we need some kind of rest because we just build something. Yeah, there you go, there you go. It's it's been, uh, uh, and and I know that like Caleb has been um, hard at work for weeks and I know you guys got here like what four days before the workshop started yeah and and uh, and it seems like most of the stuff when the workshop started most of the stuff was like mostly built yeah yeah
1: we started four days before the workshop Caleb started a long time ago and has turned his hand to pretty much everything. He's done a marvelous job, a lot of skill in that kid. So
0: Caleb, Krista and John were like, you know, working like crazy out there for weeks and um, getting that property whipped into shape. Uh, and and uh, I, I thought, uh, you know, it was, it was a bit rough, but I thought it was also much better than most permaculture workshops I've been to. I mean, I thought it was cool that, you know, like a workshop like this, typically, it's like, okay, you, you come here, you're here for the workshop part, and then you, you go home. And then you'll, you'll show up in the mornings and leave in the afternoon. But they, they, they set it up so that if people wanted to, they could stay there the whole time. And they, they hired a cook, Emily, yep. and Krista's and, uh, uh, sister, Rochelle, came out and helped some. And and
2: uh He'll have made like bucket loaders, sawdust pads for uh, people to tent camp on, so they had these like cushy little dry camping spots in the middle of October.
0: Right, and uh, and and we woke up on. So the, of course, all your workshops start on a Friday evening
2: yeah.
0: and end on Sunday afternoon. So on Friday night it snowed, and so we we woke up and there was like an inch of snow. It melted off pretty quick, but but we woke up in the morning with an inch of snow on the ground. And uh, there was a couple of people from the Seattle area that were, like, not doing well.
1: (laughs) It was a little too cold for them. A little little too Montana. (laughs) There's Adiel from Israel who was uh, uh, rather fascinated in the fact that we actually live in a place that you get snow that stays on the ground for days on end.
2: He felt like it was way too much snow until Ernie taught him about snowballs.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's good. So we're doing our part for uh, for broadening the cultural reach.
0: Yeah, the inter- international educational thing. Yeah. yeah. We had a bunch of people that were from thousands of miles away. We did. Yeah. It was, it was a, an awesome crowd. It was an awesome um, crowd. It sold out. It had sold out a couple of weeks before the event started. Um, I, I told Caleb that what he needed to do is, because uh, he's scrambling to get shit done, and, and I said, here's what you do, Caleb. You allow three, because he had, like, I, I think more than 20
1: people ask for tickets after you well, He's he got a waiting out. list. He's yeah. got a waiting list, a whole waiting list that is enough to populate another workshop. Yeah.
0: I, I said you should take three of those people and say uh, that they can get in for double the price and then take that money and then be able to buy some of the stuff that he's been working so hard to create, you know, and, and uh, uh, hire an extra hand or something, make his
1: load a little easier. I don't think he would have been able to buy the things he's creating. He'd have had to hire somebody and I'm not sure he'd have done it. No, he'd he have still he tried to just, do
2: it. He, um, I heard him um, n- name somebody a ridiculously low price on a big slab countertop like this Making these gorgeous timber plate framed slabs with you know the raw edge, so you can kind of see the knots and stuff along the edges. It's got that sort of wavy edge, and he just right. named them price per board foot, you know, yeah. like it was any other piece of piece of lumber.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, so um, I I uh, I know that I had some scrambling that I had to get done before the workshop, and I got my things in there just in the nick of time. And uh, uh, and so I think you guys even may have uh, postponed the fire sciences on Friday night to uh, accommodate me a little bit.
1: Oh, we yes. did that. Yes. We did that, and we also had a, because of this mix was interesting. We had a lot of people from Montana, but we also had a lot of people from a long way away that had that brought different skills in with them. So. It didn't hurt us letting it go a couple of, you know, what was it? We started a half an hour late, later than usual. There were
2: people still setting their tents up, too, so we wanted to let them do that in daylight. But, yeah, no, it was, every time we stopped and people started having little side conversations, I couldn't figure out which side conversation to be in, because there were so many people with interesting skills and, you know, people talking about, like, could they do special ceramics that they've heard of for making little castable heat riser things, or could they do... You know what would if they were really good at blacksmithing and welding, what could they do with metal to like make a better, you know, portable something or that? You know, it's just just neat. I'm really hoping to get together with a lot of the people that were in the workshop later on and see if they want to make some accessories or stuff like that.
0: <laughs> well, I I think that most of the people are probably pod people, like from this podcast. Um, I mean, we we kind of at the beginning. Okay, so there's 24 people who bought tickets, and we asked who came to the workshop that did not come through my stuff. I think it was only three of them, wasn't mm-hmm. it? So, so that means 21 of them came from my stuff. So I, and I don't know. I think the people who listen to my podcast, if they endure through this many podcasts to hear about the event, then um, I don't know. I, I would like to think that they're going to be a little bit more. In, I, I, I think the people that are more into the arts and hearts, flowers, and rainbows, they probably aren't going to listen to this podcast. They'll they'll tune it they'll tune it out just a few minutes into the first one that they listen to. So I, anyway, so I I want I guess what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take credit <laughs> yeah, no. all those smart people. Those are my people. <laughs> yeah.
2: I like hearts flowers and rainbows, and I like people who can still enjoy a childish magic trick, like my little thing where I make the fire burn green, and at the same time are bringing in like just, just people that have like really solid industrial skills and at the same time are doing really neat sketches in their notes you know it's just like it's, it's just a neat breadth of skill um, sometimes in the same people and and a, and a neat diversity of people that all have this sort of yeah just, you
1: know it's really great and on the whole tour we have run into that every workshop we've had really really solid people that with solid skills, in all these different all of these different places, we've had a wonderful tour. Uh, we're a tad bit tired, but we've had a wonderful tour. <laughs> how many how many workshops did you end up doing, including this one? Oh my God, you're asking the wrong person. I have a hard time remembering how many places we actually hit. <laughs> and how? E- Erica's feet got, feet got feet her feet fingers
0: out. and She's like, you know, <laughs> one, two, three, four. I I just want to say that. Um, I mean, I, I know that for this event, somebody uh, posted out at Permis uh, what thread that goes with event, this event to say something like, this is wrong, that people are charging. And I replied to it, and I said, um, I encourage you to, uh, to go out and teach uh, uh, 20 or 30 workshops for free. Um, I think that's an awesome and noble thing. Um, and I also uh, support those that, that charge to do these workshops. And um, uh, and frankly, I think that there was in fact proof. I mean, this, this for this workshop, too little was charged. It was like 400 bucks to take this workshop, and the fact that it sold out is evidence that the price tag was too low. Uh,
2: our workshop in Vermont sold out at 350 per person, and we probably did about half of what we did in this one. Yeah. Just this one has so much space to do multiple interesting projects. But I,
0: I, uh, and Before the Internet became popular, then I was a user of CompuServe, which cost $12.50 per hour to use. And um, I really feel like uh, the quality of the conversation and the people that were there, uh, it was... Somehow that was like a thinning out. Like if you didn't pay $12.50 an hour, then you would get... And so somehow the conversations were richer and more on track. And, I mean, people weren't going to just pay $12.50 an hour to dilly-dally and chit-chat and and things like that.
2: People don't tend to waste your time if they have to pay money to do so.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So... um, I don't know. I think I think when you charge a, a higher price tag, um, uh, not only can you afford to do a uh, to do more things and make it a more robust thing, which was done at this one. The whole idea that you can you could just stay there and have three meals a day, um, I think was a was a powerful thing.
2: Well, the workshops where we get like three engineers from different specialties and like half a dozen tradesmen who like worked in their craft for a long time. And a few people who have, you know, maybe it's just they've had the budget to pursue some of the stuff, like getting their own ceramics kiln. They've either been able to afford that or they've been able to go out and do work with it so that it pays for itself. But people who know how to make their life work to where they can afford the higher workshops. When you get that, that dozen people in a room together where they all get to hang out with each other and they get to swap skills and stories and think about what their next project is going to be. I just feel like that's also helping to kind of push the, the curve on what's possible as far as um, those people staying excited and interested about taking that productive um, thing that they're doing with their skills and taking it to some next level or some interesting sidetrack that ends up being a, a whole new thing they end up doing too.
0: Right. Right, I and so I I think it's just when you start raising the price tag, and then and here's another thing too for workshops, um, uh, you could raise the price tag and then use some of the money that you you're going to be bringing in, use it for actual marketing. I mean, I, I think for a lot of workshops, it doesn't have, it's like go and spend five hundred dollars to put an ad in the paper. That's like a you know, a significantly sized ad and and then pay somebody a hundred bucks to actually draw something up that's going to look nice for your ad.
2: Yeah, get somebody who's a, been in the area 40 years and doesn't read the internet, he only reads the newspaper. And yeah. when you're having this discussion about how to do the chimney for local weather and he knows like every weird storm there's been in the last 40 years, that's a nice guy to have at the workshop.
1: Yeah, there you, there you <laughs> go. There you go. Well, so, it's not only that. You know, we just did what six thousand miles? No.
2: Probably about eight thousand.
1: eight thousand miles. <laughs>
2: um. uh, I think it was twelve presentations. Um, maybe four of those were shorter evening presentations, so eight workshops, including this one. Uh, we had one cancellation and one workshop that had to be <coughs> turned into a shorter presentation, and we had two workshops added. We didn't have any weekends left by the time we finished the run. Like every weekend date we had in September, there, there was no gap.
0: Did you finish giving your fingers a workout to figure out how many? Yeah,
2: yeah okay. Yes, that's what I did. That's where I came up with the 12. Figure. Wow.
0: All right, all
2: right,
1: all right. <laughs> this doesn't... I mean, that doesn't... And you sound, did that with 10 fingers. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't sound like a lot of workshops, but you're talking days in between, and, and like, we get there three days ahead of time for the workshops. So that we can get everything set up, and then, or we try to get there three days ahead of time. So,
2: um, it's hard to get there three days ahead and stay two days after, and drive two yeah. days in between.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Three-day weekend workshop. There's, there's some math there that doesn't quite work out. Yeah. So we try, but
1: it, it it means that we're on site almost all the time, or we're or we're between the thing, and when. Uh, you know, when folks talk about, well, it's a pity to have to pay for it, and it's like, well, it's, um,
2: it sucks to pay for gas, too.
1: Yeah, it sucks to pay for 8,000 miles worth of gas.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And meals and hotel This is why I encourage that guy to go ahead and, and go on out and do what he preaches. He's preaching that these things should be taught for free, and I thoroughly encourage him to go and do that. Yeah, that would be awesome. I want to see him do that. Of course, I'm sure he's not going to do it.
2: No, do it. Do it totally. We had we had one workshop that we couldn't do in Missouri that somebody else went and taught. don't know who it was, but that made us very happy because they're taken care of. We had two workshops that we taught on this tour where somebody else had tried to build their first rocket mass heater in somebody else's space, and they just they missed a few things. There's things in the book <laughs> that, like the manifold, is hard to do right the first time, and it's not that well described in the book. Um, I just sent Leslie some pictures to try to make it better in the next edition, but...
0: Are they going to do an next edition?
2: I think there is going to be one, but I've been hearing I've, that for a while.
0: Yeah, it's been like for five years they've been saying they're going to have a next edition. I, I,
2: think, she's, I think she's working on it, but okay. we might need to help her a little bit. All right. Um, but we, we show up, most of it's done, but there's some problems with crushed pipes because cob doesn't work so well in a wet greenhouse when you're standing on it or there's some problems in the manifold because you weren't quite sure how to make it support itself and it kind of collapsed. Um, and it's really easy to fix a broken rocket stove. It's much easier than building one from scratch in most cases. As long as you don't use corrugated pipe in the bench, we can pretty much do it in one day, what we might otherwise have to spend three to do. So so I like having, you know, and, and the, the guy that did that one where the manifold collapsed, he must have read that book five times because all the stuff that he could get from the book was in that build. There was only like three things we had to change. If he'd
0: have gotten your six-inch plan, would he have gotten, you know, the, the manifold fixed?
2: I think it would have been a lot easier for him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So now, I you know, I think that's important. I'm not sure we mentioned it in the podcast before, but you guys have two plans out right now: the the six-inch plans and the eight-inch plans. And and uh, you've it's, got the cob, the double chamber cob oven too. But but for the six-inch plans, the eight-inch plans. They're available for sale on the Internet. Uh, in fact, i got links to it from my Rocket Mass Cedar article.
2: Thank
0: you for doing that. Uh, Yeah, sure. In fact, if anybody does it, then they can get a residual income stream from... If people buy it, you get 20%. I, like, I get little emails pretty much every day that say, um, congratulations, Paul Wheaton, you just got $7, and he gloats. <laughs> and, and, and when I hang out with Ernie and Erica, I say, ooh, look, because I could look at my BlackBerry, and I get a little email, oh, look, and we're standing around somewhere, you guys just sold another one of these, thanks to me. <laughs> <laughs> gloat, 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 gloat. Probably yeah.
2: half our sales at this point, but we, yeah. we do want to let people know we have two other plans that have, we've been carrying with us on the road. That we're releasing when we get home. Okay. One of them's the one in our house that hadn't been on site for a year when we started the trip, but now it has. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's I know that's your policy. You don't you don't put them up um, as as public plans until they've been in place for one year and working correctly, Or yeah. doing well for one year.
2: We do sometimes release it privately, like if people want a consultation, want us to draw something up that we think would work. We're happy to do that for somebody. We just don't put them out in public because we don't sure. want somebody. There's a lot of people that will put something out that they think will work, and then it gets used on, like, 100 houses because it's a free plan off the Internet. And then 87 of them find out that it didn't work, and that's kind of a sucky cycle.
0: You know, and, and that is kind of what inspired us. It's like, you know what? We, gotta, we were talking about this moments ago. We got to make a podcast because there's something that keeps coming up in the rocket mass eater world, and we got to get to that. But we're going to get to that in a little later. First, let's 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 try and wrap up on on the podcast or on the uh, on the rocket mass eater workshop that just finished up. A little little kind of quickie summary, and and I think the next item on the
1: list is Caleb. Yeah, yeah, seriously, seriously heavy duty skill base there, and. Um, I was asked at this at this workshop if I would if I would trust anybody to do do water heaters because that's one of the things that we did in this. Um, And Caleb's pretty much it right now for the whole list. He's the whole list. Here's the list of the top 100. Yeah, yeah. Caleb's name written 100 times. (laughs) Um, You know, and, and everybody that has been in the workshops has brought up rocket hot water heater heating. They've all been stupid. Well, yeah, they've all heard. No, no, Erica's Erica's polite.
2: She's got to say. No, I mean, people are curious. They're saying, could I use this to heat my radiant floor? Is there a way to tie it in? Because because radiant floors are also a thermal mass heating, but they're piped for water. Well, I and so it's it's a reasonable question, and I yeah. think it's especially wise to ask someone else before you try it, because
0: the important thing is the moment you try and go down this, people will be so cocksure that they've got it figured out up until the moment that it explodes and they die. Boom squish.
2: Right. right. And, right. and it's the smart people who are likely to be overconfident. Right. Smart, wise people are going to go out and ask and do some research. Um, one of the guys in Maine is a, a pipe fitter. Like, he's got experience. He's got heavy he duty experience with plumbing and other heating systems. He's got a boiler he runs in his basement right now. And so if he wanted to play with a rocket stove for a little while and see what, you know, use some temperature probes and figure out where he could tap into that, he's already got like a 20-year learning curve on the plumbing figured out. Right. Somebody like that or like Caleb with an installation experience. You could take
0: a guy like that and ramp him up. Right. But he's not ready yet to try this. Yeah,
2: and Caleb didn't try it by himself. He brought us in to do the rocket stove side. And Ernie's got some experience with steam and so on too. And so Kayla's water heating plus Ernie's rocket stove and now Kayla's got a walk like got more of the picture on the rocket stove in his head.
0: Right. You guys But
2: he didn't do it alone. You
0: guys came through in August. Yes, and and spent a whole bunch of time with Caleb going over the designs, and I know okay. that we the, the the bunch of us got together and argued about different approaches for hours, and then and then Caleb went out and he like started you know connecting parts together and pulling yes. new materials and stuff like that. Then when you guys got here for like five days before the workshop or whatever, then Caleb already had something kind of cobbled together, and
1: then I know you left right on it. Yeah, Very, we when we got here we essentially set out making the getting the water heater the hot water heater set up and doing testing, he's right? Got,
2: he's got like six temperature probes on it at different right. points. He's got like, you know, he's got this great computer controller that he had left over from or he picked it up at work somehow. Anyway, it's just like yeah, just taking the time and what I loved about the way Caleb approached it is the first time we sat down and built the first prototype in August, he deliberately set it up to fail by being way too cold, right? Right? He set it up without anything on it to, you know, with the pipes a little loose so it wouldn't conduct as well, and, and, you know, he started with it really cold, and then we started tweaking it to get warmer and warmer. And so once he saw, like, the spot that Ernie recommended to put the pipes, not where the fire is, it's further downstream, so it's, it's already a cooler spot. Saw that that was coming out too cold. Okay, great. So now I can push it a little bit further until we get into warm. He's approaching warm from the cold side rather than from the too hot side.
0: Right. Let's let's get it to 2,000 degrees and see what happens. Yeah. Right.
2: And you can like install appliances following a manual and feel like you know what's going on, and you can explain it to clients and they can feel like they know what's going on. But there's a big difference between being confident because you've read the manual and being confident to invent something, to design something. And I, I really appreciated him not being overconfident.
0: Well, the big thing is that Caleb has got tons of experience with doing alternative energy hot water, and, all, right. and including hot water heating stuff. He's in tons of hot water where it's, it's like it's you route it to the floor and you're heating uh, the floors and whatnot and all sorts of things. And then solar uh, PV installations as well as solar hot water installations
1: on large scale. Right. He's done a, he's done a whole bunch of large scale stuff, but it's... It's also, he's done enough to know that if you, if you're running a wood boiler and you screw it up, it blows up. Yeah. Um, Boom squish. So, so the...
2: And there's lots of ways you can get, like, weird problems. Like the, like he was talking about seeing when something leaks green goo all over somebody's siding or basement. Or when the system vents hot gases and melts your roof. And like, just all these things that he's seen as somebody who's working in the industry whether it was, you know, some of these are things he can spot driving down the road because he looks at what's on the roof and knows exactly what happened to those poor guys from the other company, you know?
0: So, well, I, think, I think during the workshop we came up with something where we're trying to explain the danger level that we're, that we're fooling with here and that, and that the purpose of showing it and the purpose of, of uh, you know, even making video of it and maybe possibly showing it later, that the idea was, is like, you know what, they have video of people climbing to Everest and not dying and coming back down yes and and it's like um, you know but at the same time it's like for everybody that makes it up there how many people die you know yeah, and one
2: it, of the things anybody who's gone to Everest will tell you about is climbing past bodies like 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 certain seasons usually when you're climbing there's um there's little relics little pieces um, one and and often like the one of the first films I saw about Everest they had, like another party that had two climbers die before they even started up to make this big film that they put all this money into, the, like getting the film crew to go film the Everest thing.
0: So at this point in time, there's like a, a hundred thousand rocket mass heaters that have been built and are in use, and uh, to our knowledge, no one has died from it. Yeah. And at the same time, if there were a hundred thousand people who had attempted to build rocket hot water. We estimate that 80 percent of those people, so 80,000 people, would now be dead. Yeah. Because and it, and it has a lot to do with, I mean, the technology works. The technology is sound. However, the problem isn't that. The problem is is that people are going to skip steps to get there, and they don't. They they feel sure that they've got it all under wraps, all under control, and they just don't. Well, and they don't know.
2: It's too many things to remember at once. It's. Um...
0: They don't have the respect. That comes from years of experience working with it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and so I mean, and that's the other thing that people who are very proud of being smart will often also have is this um, sort of this fear of failure. That in order to be smart, you have to be right all the time, and so they won't set it up to fail. They'll set it up the first time to be perfect, and if they've forgotten one valve or if they've missed one gradient or if the the pump's not the right size for the system, or they just, you miss one piece, and the failure is spectacular, whereas if you deliberately set it up, like like what Caleb was saying, is probably half of them would end up spending a lot of money on parts that would never work at all. You know, there's there's ways to fail that are safer, but the failure rate is, is going to be extremely high, and you've got to plan on failing safely.
1: And they don't understand some some really basics, or they don't plan their system for some really basics. One gallon of water expanding 1,700 times in volume when it turns to steam is a lot of power. It's also a hell of a lot of space that it takes up. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to design your system to handle both of those. loose the explosions rather large.
0: I, I think I think that the thing is. I mean, we've talked about uh, boom squish, and then we've uh, done the re- review of boom squish. And then we've talked about more about rocket mass in all previous podcasts. I think that the important thing to keep in mind, high risk, very high risk. And this is for pressurized hot water. For non-pressurized hot water, very safe, other yeah. than, you know, the obvious, like, it's hot.
2: <laughs> a kettle or an open tank. We even talked about a design that I've seen online where you make a big open tank and you heat it, and then you run a coil through that tank of water instead of anywhere in direct contact with the, the fire itself. All right. So there's there's lots of designs and ways to do something with hot water that are within the power of a normal person. Um, right. It wouldn't be that hard to put a big canning kettle on top of the, the stove with a tap in the bottom and a little cold water pipe that you could turn on above it. Never have to lift it off. You could just tap hot water off of the, you know, an open pot on top of the barrel. If you needed to, you could empty it and clean it out. Very very easy.
0: I, I think that the important thing out of all of this is that uh, is two things. One. Is that Ernie and Erica do not build things for people,
2: yeah.
0: uh, and the corollary to that is is, uh, is is that Caleb does. Yes, that's what Caleb Absolutely. does. That's what he does. And and two, the second part is this is the first time ever that Ernie's encountered anybody who he felt was qualified to do that. Yes. Yeah. And and I think Ernie is extremely picky. Yeah. So um, uh, and well, I so I think that that's like. Uh, um,
2: we're open to meeting other people. Ernie hasn't met <laughs> everyone in the world, but it's true. Um, but we're very impressed with Caleb. Yeah, um, but I think at the three.
0: same time, Ernie's got a pretty good idea of who are the leading people in rocket mass heater technology. That you know that so that way, I mean, he's got to know those people to first be able to know. Who's got enough stop to be able to do this without blowing up you and your family? Well,
2: Ernie, yeah. Ernie said something about the risks involved, because Ernie's done a lot of high-risk work, and I was asking where he would rate it, like if somebody was a novice at hot water and wanted to try to do it, like a rocket hot water heater, and he would say he said that it was safer than king crabbing in the Arctic, but more dangerous than hazardous materials disposal. Like that's oh. where he would put the risk level for trying to do it yourself.
0: Pressurized hot water. Okay. <laughs> all right. So Ernie, all right. So I'm I'm ready to move on to some other stuff
1: here. But you got anything else about Caleb? Not particularly, other than if he's, you know, I haven't met that many people with the mix of skills Caleb has, and okay. lifetime, a lifetime worth of skills. Yeah. In the
0: power skills there. So now, uh, to wrap up on that point, I think that the uh, the thing to do is is to relay. Bernie and Erica's first rule of pressurized hot water which is don't yeah okay. there you go don't that's that's the rule don't do it just don't alright uh, and then um, the next item we have on the list is the big reveal oh, we sorry. revealed the big reveal
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, uh, and so uh, we the three of us have talked about this and we all three agree that it is an order of magnitude
1: better yeah and I don't I don't think we, in a lot of ways, I don't think other people or the people at the workshop kind of understood why, because they, it's something that happens so commonly in other things, but for those of us who've worked with rocket heatry, rocket stoves and, and have built a lot of them, it's like, wow.
0: Yeah, this is, huge for, you know, yeah. I agree. I think a lot of the people there were like, I know I'm supposed to be amazed, but I guess I'm not getting where I'm supposed to be amazed and why. And um, But I know that for the three of us and, and for, yeah, for the few people that were there that, that understood rocket mass heaters moderately well, I, I do think that uh, I, we, we've impressed ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is our goal in any workshop, really. Do um, you want me to tell people what it was? Go ahead. Okay. Um, so one of the things about rocket mass heaters is there's a number of different critical dimensions that if you screw up, the relationship in the combustion chamber itself, it won't work. And there's a number of ways it won't work, but many of them involve the thing smoking back into your house. Um, It's it's sort of a complicated thermosiphon kind of thing that that if you get the proportions wrong or you put a leak in the wrong place, it leaks out both sides. So um, what we put together, which was mostly Paul's idea, was, uh, Damn,
0: I'm good.
2: You're so good. <laughs> uh, was uh, We used some refractory castable ceramic material and precast parts from some folks that we like near where I grew up in Oregon to um, to do basically a shippable three-part core where the whole burn box is all one piece and there's a, is a two-piece heat riser. It might even go down to one piece if we, we talk very nicely to them about casting a slightly longer tube.
0: Now, I think that the core could rise up a little bit. Yep. And yeah. then you have your bigger yeah. tube. right? And, yeah.
2: and a small manifold that can ship in the same box as the, the burn tube. Yeah. And so it's just...
0: We've all, we're already optimizing the idea yeah. because the success of this has been so yeah. massive.
2: No, so it's a prototype so that instead of mortaring together, you know, 150 bucks worth of fire brick and needing to get the dimensions precise at each point, you got three parts that go together, and what was that part? Maybe five, ten minutes.
1: Yeah, maybe five or ten minutes. I mean, it takes longer can, to seal the pieces together, but we I think we can design back it. Them. I think we can change the design
0: so we don't need to seal them.
1: No, I I yeah. I, I do too. This is a prototype. We didn't. Yeah. We started from scratch. The guy that helped us build the mold, uh, as a fell out of Spokane, Rusty Brown, did an incredible job on that. Um.
2: I'm just re- the. I'll tell you where we got the materials too, because they do have the the insulated, um, like pipe insulation that stands up by itself, and you could get like a eight inch interior diameter tube from them if you don't want to stack bricks. Um, it's a place called Western Industrial Ceramics. Uh, we we use their toilet office, and they just they've been real friendly to us. So.
1: so What we're gonna do with those guys when we get home, and and a lot of this is, I would have liked to have found a way to. To put this into production prior to to getting home, but we can't do all this work from,
0: from the road. I imagine by the time that people receive this podcast, which will be about a month from now, that you guys will probably um, you know be in production.
1: Oh, we'll we'll have some inroads in there. I wouldn't say in production, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try to at, at least, least be close. At least be close. Um, this and the same with the, with just the heat risers, because I think that's. That's going a long way. The other thing about the shippable and casted deal is the amount of heat it retains at the the temperatures that it actually burns at. Like when we first lit this this uh, system on, and I hope, I hope that it got on the DVD. Um, But you could hear, you know, and we'd had big we we we've been having big conversations about. How hot this thing burned, and how much insulation it needed underneath it. And Eric and I and Rusty were the only ones that had seen this thing burn prior to showing it to Caleb on our first run through. Right. Um, but you never got to see it. So I have that much confidence in your
0: ability <laughs> that I saw it sitting there, and and I pointed at it and I said lots of uh, uncomfortable things. And everybody was, like, really shocked that you and I would talk that way. Right. But we do all the time. And so, so uh, what was it? I said? I said, I want the cost to be something low. And then right. And they were all like, but that's Ernie Wisner. You don't talk to Ernie Wisner that way. Well, yeah, you do. I'm Paul Wheat. <laughs> um,
1: so, well, we had some big concerns. And when we set it up this time, the part that I hope got on the DVD was the sound of Uh-oh. the system irrigating the fire brick in the floor of it because it took up heat too fast and started fracturing the top of the brick and blowing it up the burn up the feed tube
2: or up the burn
1: tunnel and up into the into the heat riser and against the bottom of the of the barrel yeah,
2: we had some damp firebrick because <laughs> it had been sitting outside for a demonstration the night before in the snow.
0: So uh,
2: yeah,
0: it sounds That's like popcorn. <laughs> it Sounds like popcorn. The little 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 bits of firebrick are breaking off and exploding inside of the burnt and and hitting the top of the barrel and then it it's clinking down the, the sides of the barrel. And this was in 40 seconds after lighting. Yeah, and and so then of course there's lots of stories about how. This thing, burn, I mean, so basically, the thing is, is that this is taking rocket mass heater technology, and and part of what you're trying to do is you're trying to get it so hot that it burns the smoke and you create a chimney fire every time. But this is going to be, might even possibly be, I want to say 80% hotter
1: than probably any other rocket mass heater has ever gotten. I think in some places, yes. Yeah. As long as they were done with the masonry and... Uh, yeah, I'd say that in, in some of the parts, that's precisely true, um, which means that it's precisely wrong, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> it's roughly true. Roughly um, true.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the, I, would, I would say that you could use this material for the heat riser right now, and it would be – it makes things super easy, and it, it's, um, it's not that big of a cost factor over what you'd pay to do, like, new brick or any other combination of masonry and insulation that would work well.
0: Well, it it's gonna cost the same when you are doing it in quantity. Yeah. Because the one off was like a thousand dollars.
2: Like eight hundred something, yeah. It yeah. was it was a lot. But we were getting I mean, you also picked
0: it up, you know. And we found out that shipping parts of, of it
2: shipped. Yeah. Okay,
0: all right, all right. Well, but it's like I mean the key is it's very expensive if you do one off. And and on top of that they're not exactly it was a little rough. I mean, it's a prototype, and what we had to work with was a little...
1: It, it, it needs to be refined. There well, needs and to be improvement. And, and we, we deliberately did, you know, in a, in a way we deliberately did that. I didn't really want to go through and machine the heat riser so it's perfectly smooth and looks perfectly pristine. Um, the casting was the first time we would ever tried to do this mold. With this material, which is, okay. by the way, incredibly sticky.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, that, was, that was what we ran into. You can get it in a, in a caulking tube, too, to stick together, but I had the leftover from the mold for the guy to stick it together with, and I gather he was, like, trying to paste it on with a spoon because it, right. it's it's a ceramic fiber that's stabilized with rice starch. Like, that's what they put in it for a binder so that you can work with it. And when you fire it, the rice starch burns out, and you've got this sort of felted ceramic fiber that stays in place. And it, it actually kind of gets more like a porcelain ring to it. So, so it's a cool material, but it's really, really sticky. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, we probably need to, to get some more advice from the folks that we got the material from, or maybe have them do the molds. They got a like a vacuum form technique so that they think we're gonna, they got it worked
1: out. I think the first ones we're going to set. It, we're going to try to work it out that they can do the that they'll do the molds. Right that they'll they'll do the molding. And it's going to be a little more expensive going that way. And we're going to be continuing to look for people who are going to produce it for cheaper. So what, what in, a, in this
0: public podcast, which will be listened to by thousands of people, I wish to formally state, say, only hundreds, actually at <laughs> thousands.
2: I'm really good at numbers? Yeah, it, it is, we, we, we hold a
0: ruler up to it, really.
2: Uh,
0: and, and so uh, I wish to publicly say that for all of my contributions to uh, this stuff to, to the shippable core project I hereby bequeath this to uh, Ernie and Erica forever and whatever. And so whatever interest I have in it, I give to you guys. And uh, you guys, it's your, you own it however it is, and I don't, you know. And uh, and so you guys, I, I hope that you guys put it into
1: production, and uh, I hope you get fucking rich. We've we've looked for people to do two things on this entire trip. One, I want to get some builders out there that are going to build rocket sales for people. Because, like it said, we don't teach, or we don't build. We right. teach. That's so more, Caleb's, more Caleb's. More Caleb's. Um, a, and more Rusty Brown's.
2: We've met a few people on this trip who have interest, in, and if they happen to listen, I, I'm hoping that they'll make sure and get back in touch and let us know that they're serious about it. Uh, the, the thing I'm hoping to deliver with the Shippable core, uh, we had some great interest from one of the Natural Building Network Coordinators in Ohio. Um for going and doing the UL listing, like oh, right. doing, doing the uh, testing to make these the chipable core, and I'd also like to test the firebrick core at the same time to to test it for be, becoming a UL listed appliance, so that it's not just legal but super easy to legally install it in a home. Okay. Oh, so that con. would
1: yes. If there's a billionaire out there who who wants to fund me going and getting it's natural actually- building stuff fund it tested I don't know. please the do We've
2: got a take strategy. Billions. it takes okay, they have a
1: strategy.
2: it's, it's no. maximum well the testing itself is maybe five to ten thousand dollars and there's going to be some expense involved in going to the lab and building it on site but and the
1: materials and the yeah
2: so we'll probably right. maximum 50 grand and we i think we could do it for less and i think we could probably get enough people interested to do it through a kickstarter and, uh, yeah and private you know, that,
0: there you go so I the know. plan is is that over the next few weeks the three of us are going to try to get a, get a couple of Kickstarters together. I'm going to try and get a Kickstarter to, together in order to make it so that I'm going to make a couple of DVDs on the workshop that just occurred, and we're going to try and get a Kickstarter to going together for you guys to be able to put together get, get enough orders to do a shippable core without UL listing, and then another Kickstarter to get started on the whole UL listing thing because that's going to take a lot of time, right. and a lot of people don't care about the UL listing thing; they're going to build it anyway.
2: And I, I, I did tell you this guy in Ohio, Chris McClellan, is interested in helping with that, the okay. UL listing thing, too. So we've got, so, I've got a lot of support from this trip that I think is going to be really helpful. So you
1: know what's so ironic about this is, is the part that I keep saying is you notice that they're they're both saying, you know, Paul and Eric are both saying, oh, you know, it's... It's going to be so so cheap and easy, but neither one of these two is going to be the one that's actually there building the damn thing. I right. says it's going
2: to be cheap. Erica says it's going to be easy. Yes. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah, let's get this
2: started. I straight I haven't said it's going to be cheap. There's like ex- I kind of see this expensive and easy or like cheap and a certain quantity of work, and then there's all this kind of middle ground that we can explore as to what really works best for people. Is it going to be better to have something super pretty that's expensive, or something that, you know, you have to get a caulking gun out to put it together. It takes you an extra 20 minutes, but it's $100 less when you order it, you know? One of
1: the reasons why we want to test this, to be perfectly upfront and honest, is that the... Because the rest of the time you lie like a sack of... Yeah, that's me. (laughs) I lie like a rug. Um... The uh, the the smoke time, you know, we I always make sure that people know that you've got, you know, six to six to ten minutes of smoke when you first light it. But the castable refractory stuff, we're cutting that down already.
0: So I've always said three minutes, the so well. smoke. But then at, and then, but now it's like that's it. Looked like it would probably
1: look more like fifteen seconds now. Yeah. Because it gets so hot so fast. Right, and that's the thing, is that I'm trying to make, as I stated when we first started this thing, I'm trying to make it as clean as possible, as fast as possible, that it burns as thoroughly as possible, period, paragraph, the end. Do you
2: you think it's possible if we had a fire lighter that was kind of like a candle flame that pre-warmed it, that we could get that down to no smoke?
1: I don't know. I think it's... I think it would be possible. I think that what what actually causes our smoke is the fact that it isn't heated up sufficiently when we first light it, and it and that's what it's doing. So if you use the gas igniter, it probably would. But I, I don't I really want to keep the of smoke. I really don't want to support no, somebody
2: zero smoke would like would be
1: cool. yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: infinitely better, right? Oh, well, and that's another
0: thing too. You know what? If you put a candle, if you put a candle in there. That's gonna draw so fast and so hard that it'll blow the candle out
2: <laughs> when it's ready. <laughs> One of our new friends from this trip does these like fire muffin lighters, like the the little little cupcake oh, wrapper yes. wax sawdust lighter <laughs> things, and he seemed like he might be interested in doing a custom like fire muffin popsicle on a stick that you could use for lighting rocket mass heaters. Like we like this is this is the kind of conversations we've been having. Okay. On this all trip. right. Really so so that uh,
0: with with the big reveal, we wanted to get the whole thing built in under 15 minutes. And we we did it in 44 minutes, oh. so we did beat my record. Oh by um,
1: by scads, and I will. Uh, <laughs> oh scads! Oh scads! The, by SCADS. I thought it was 26 film. minutes. Yes, yeah. that's scads. So I, and I think, I think
2: you were right about the like having a smaller pourable rock rather than large chunks of rock would have yeah. made that a lot faster.
0: I, I think I think we've we've talked about this, well, we are going to get under 15 minutes pretty quickly
1: here. Yeah, I, and I think, think it will be under With this one, I think most of most of what it was was you know, the the cast bowl needs to be glued together. Um, at and which the, we're going to like prototype. We're going to eliminate we're the glue. And the next version. Eliminate the glue. And the other one was that we hand stack the rocks. You just really can't lay piping any faster than you can lay piping.
2: Well, you can't lay piping with six people who haven't done it before any faster than we did. Um, I made the mistake of crimping a part that didn't need to be crimped, and that didn't help us either. uh,
0: We had errors when we did it the hour and ten minute one, too. This
2: was, like, the crew that put it together had put it together sort of once before ever, and they... No,
1: actually, they didn't put it together once before ever. They They, came
2: in and saw how you would put it
1: together. No, they laid the ducting. I had them work out laying the ducting, but they never attached it to a manifold. They never attached it to a 90. They never attached it to anything.
2: Because you had the parts in a box to yeah. show that they'd come from shipping. So the right. parts arrived yeah, the, without them having ever seen them before we took them out of the box. I took it, it to the,
0: the, the shipping depot in Missoula, Montana, and they uh, professionally packed it for, uh, for shipping. And uh, they told us about, yes, that will ship, that, that this is something that UPS will take and ship, and here's how much the shipping would cost. And, and these are within UPS's uh, shipping requirements. Yeah. So it'll all it'll all ship. It is therefore a shippable core. Yes. They would if if I'd have lit them, they would have. And we were we were coming up with prices to ship it from Missoula to New York City, and and it's like if if I lit them, they would have sent it to New York
1: City. So um, I also got to co- make one comment about one other person at this at this uh, event that we just did, and that was the cook. The mm-hmm. cook that we had had never never cooked on, on, wood on wood heat of any kind. And Erica made this absolutely gorgeous rocket stove cooker with little rings to, to allow it to heat up various different pots. So each pot had its own kind of ring and it had a grill and all this other stuff. And she loved it.
2: She and she worked her butt off about four hours that she was on site that they were chopping, like, fifty pounds of onions before she, she like, and she, then she went and practiced on it for, like, a few hours before people got there, and the next day she was using it to cook for forty people. And, uh, she was, she, she didn't get the gas stoves out until she got to where she needed two or three pots going at once. She was really pretty happy with it, and I was really impressed with how quickly she got comfortable with it. She started using, like, bricks to control the heat, give herself low heat, but with more like putting a brick over the fire so the pot's on the brick, and just doing all kinds of just just neat to see somebody go from now, professional catering I will to
1: that nobody okay. wanted us at this that this thing, I don't think anybody wanted us to do the the deep fried turkey side by side comparison. Um, because there was so many people around and people were worried about, you know, hot oil exploding and catching on fire and all this stuff but you know she
2: never deep fried a turkey period and so trying to deep fry a turkey two turkeys simultaneously over wood and gas heat for the first time in her life I think that was a good call that she made and um, so we went with the, the water boil off Challenge rather than
0: yeah. a
2: turkey cooking challenge as the first trial for this poor lady. <laughs> now, <laughs>
0: I, I I visited with her a little bit. I, I made some video with her and she's talking about it. And, and so it's like pretty much, for, for some of the stuff she could control the temperature a little bit. She talked about temperature control. But it's like, it's, it's for anything where you want it to be crazy hot
2: <laughs>
0: really fast because it's like you don't just get low, medium, high. You only get to have freaky high and freaky fucking high.
1: Yeah, and pretty much. <laughs> pretty
0: much. Um,
1: yeah. And so,
0: like, soup, I, making I, soup was good because it's like you get that water boiling really fast and once it's boiling, then, the, you know, the fire's pretty much done and now it's kind of cooling off on its own. Still a little simmery heat to keep it going. Uh,
2: I, I kind of made the cook stove using the same space-age refractory stuff. God. And it had worked really well in a smaller cook stove for a kindergarten teacher that we did before, but it's, um, I, I'd never fried a turkey either, so I kind of yeah. overestimated the heat load involved in a very large pot. <laughs>
0: yeah. So it's, it's um,
2: so, so I think no gonna, simmer. Yeah, I think I'm going to adjust that so, so it just takes a smaller volume of wood and yeah. still produces a clean flame, but it's just a little bit lower heat.
0: Well, when we, the three of us have talked about this before, and we compared, rocket stoves, you know, J-tube rocket stoves, because that's what it was. It was a J-tube rocket stove, very different from some of the L-tube stuff. And when we've talked about it, we've talked about the idea of how would you regulate the temperature, and the answer was that you have a, a, a metal bucket with sand in it, and then you pull the sticks out and stick them into the sand. Yeah,
2: just leave some coals in the box, so it's basically cooking over the, the warmth, swafting off the coals. The other thing that happened at this workshop that I thought was really fun was the participants got kind of excited about improvising cookstoves off of the basic J-tube design, and they did two or three interesting designs just with raw brick. Um, yeah. And they produced right. a couple of neat low heat designs that that were similar to like the good stove from India, but they'd never seen that before. They just right. did it anyway, or, or using ideas from Japanese kilns. So they just, just kind of cool. made it up. because
0: you know, yeah. right, that's the part of the workshop It's like everybody get bricks and you get fire, and what do you want to do? And and it's like so then and everybody's, like doing all these different interesting things, and they did. They came up with some yeah. pretty pretty fascinating bits and bobs. All right, um, uh, so the. Um, I think we've covered a lot of
1: the stuff. Yep. Uh,
2: the all right. Workshop. I think
1: we're good on the workshop. It
2: was awesome. Thanks for the people that came, and thanks so much for finding such quality people to come to it.
1: Yeah, and and for like our entire tour, thanks to everybody who we've met on this tour because the whole tour's been this way. Yeah. I mean, it's been marvelous. I even have more tools than what I left than what I left with because <laughs> people have given me tools along the way. there' are these neat things that they've discovered, and it's. It's been marvelous. Yeah. yeah.
2: No, I mean, just... Yeah. Um, and I, I especially want to say thank you to the people that put together, like, put the energy into setting up posting arrangements. We worked at, like, got to go work at my college that I went to, um, and one of my old professors set us up and did the legwork to make sure that it was okay with the public safety three-tiered committee for, for making fire safer for college students and all of this stuff. It was just, like, lots of people put a lot of work into getting food organized for massive groups and just, yeah, just a lot of love along the way. So thank you.